Welcome, welcome to Skin Out, a podcast celebrating all the people that, that want to skin out, enjoy and show out. These are the stories of people of colour taking up space in the kink and fetish scene. I'm your host, Tony, and I hope you're ready because we're about to go on a sexual journey. In each episode, we'll meet a brand new guest, delve into their sexual past and tread alongside them as they divulge their exploits in desire. Today, I'm joined by Don, he, him, a black male kinkster who's been a regular on the play party scene for a year and a half now. He's in a long-term non-monogamous relationship and is switchy by nature. Hey, Don. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing very, very good. I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> it's great to be here. Yeah, because you started on your, you started going to play parties roughly the same time I did. Yeah, um, just after COVID, everything mm-hmm. lifted, things kind of opened up. Yeah, everything opened up and we went wild. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> we went always wild though. Though we ended up at the same sort of sex parties, our way that we got there was very different. How did it all start for you? I think I went to start after meeting my partner. When was that? Um, that was in 2014. So we met through apps as, you know, modern world. We got very serious very quickly. We were exclusive. We were monogamous. Never had any non-monogamous experiences previously. But um, we connected really well. We discussed sex really openly, really early on. And kind of what we'd be into and what our desires were and kind of what we were curious about. And I think from that foundation of our relationship, opening up uh, eventually and seeing where that led to has kind of put me on a path to where I am now, I guess. It's, I'd say, it was a slow start. We opened up initially, had a lot of conversations about how it would work, what we were okay with, because we were kind of figuring stuff out on our own. It wasn't through any sense of community. We didn't really know anyone who had a similar experience to us. We were just finding our own feet, which was scary at times and kind of a lot of mistakes we probably made as well. But a lot of correction and communication and eventually getting to a place where we were comfortable with the new dynamic that we had. So from that point is when I started dating um, other people, mainly through field at that point. And I think that was my first foray into kink beyond just the bedroom or just like beyond playing with a one-on-one partner just seeing okay what else is out there who else has these same kind of thoughts and feelings around this that and the other so I think that was a jump off point for me and massively for my partner as well (laughs) (laughs) and kind of finding like what we weren't sure into but then grew from there to be like okay that can work and yeah. Who who was the person to suggest non-monogamy? Good question. I think we initially did the boring thing that monogamous couples do. We're like, well, we want to try threesome or we want to try like uh, see with another couple. And it kind of went from there. I think gradually through the idea of meeting other people and trying to figure that out, I think she suggested it probably first, but it was on the table in terms of what we were doing and how we were going to go about it and just how comfortable we would be with meeting other people, seeing other people dating, sleeping with other people. So yeah, it was kind of, it was a joint effort, but if you want to give it to one person, then say she started it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, all the power to her. Do you ever date and play together or is it uh, separate as well? 
We have done not that often. I think that she'd identify as sapiosexual. What does that mean? So it's, I think the technical term is like you're turned on by someone's intelligence and kind of those deep conversations, which now makes me sound really, really shallow. <laughs> but um, there's, a certain, how they look, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a certain connection that um, she wants to achieve with someone that she meets and who she plays with. I think particularly with guys, I think with women, she is a bit more shallow in terms of like, <laughs> she definitely has a type. So I think just making connections with women is harder for her. So that's why we played less together. But we have a handful of times and we're still friends with quite a few of them, guys and girls that we played with. So yeah, that's not as happened as much, but it's been fun experiences. Were you very kinky in your relationship before you opened up? to be non-monogamous or do you think you became more kinky That's a being non-monogamous which came uh, first chicken or the egg <laughs> <laughs> i think we started with some levels of kink in terms of some light bdsm play and restraints i think the first time that she'd bought any kind of sex toys was when we were together so what about you was that also the first time you bought sex toys i had bought one for someone I was dating before that or like bought it with them but bought for myself yeah the first time I bought something for myself was with her so we kind of broached a few things together definitely with the big kind of chest that we got in the bedroom now of like stuff <laughs> how big is this chest you ever seen one of those hampers from Foreman and Mason around Christmas time they've got those big kind of hampers that you put food in whatever it's one of those. Wow, it's a, it's a big collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the toy. Yeah, like, no, no. <laughs> we finally got a big enough box for them now. But it's been a gradual collection. <laughs> but I think from around that time of exploring more of ourselves and then gradually opening up to other people, we had kind of a framework of what we were into. But I think it was both a journey of discovery in terms of we know what we like with each other, but what's going to happen when we meet someone else? What are they going to draw out of us? What's that dynamic going to be like? So I think that was something that was really interesting in the early stages of, oh, I met this person and we tried this. Do you want to try that? And it was like, yeah, maybe, or no, I'm not so sure. But it was kind of just a feedback loop of this is the interaction I've had uh, here and how do you feel about that or... Yeah, it was very much kind of communication and bringing the information back and <laughs> like having a chat about it, basically. What are some tricks and tips you learned from your dates that you brought back to your partner? Ooh, I think one that she brought back, let's kind of flip the question, was a guy that she dated had his technique to get her to squirt. I'm trying to think specifically with me. I think we tried a lot of stuff ourselves, so... <laughs> What and I'm hearing is non-monogamy is very much sharing is caring, right? Yeah. <laughs> stopping, we're stopping uh, best practices. <laughs> I think so. I mean, what we did find out though, because again, we were figuring stuff out ourselves, there were some boundary issues that we found early on that we didn't necessarily know we had. Hmm, like um, what? So I remember playing with someone, I think it was the first person that I'd met since we opened up. When we started looking to date other people, we used Field, like I said. And I don't know if you remember, back in the day, Field was only on an iPhone. 
Really? Yeah. So back when it was called Frenda before the lawsuit. Well, damn. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I would have never had it when it was filled. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm here in these streets. <laughs> wow. So back then, it was only an iPhone for one, which she had and I didn't. I had an Android. So we had a profile on her phone as a like a joint profile. You couldn't do separate couple things and join it. So you had to make a profile as a couple. So we just match with people and invariably it'd be a lot of men, very few women. So she'd get dates and matches, et cetera, et cetera. I think I tried other sites. OkCupid okay, was the main one for me as well as field, just in terms of being able to have my own thing and know that I was meeting people who wanted to meet me. Not just like, hey, so <laughs> how can I talk to her? <laughs> so eventually I met someone and went on a few dates and we played when we were having sex. We're like quite, I don't want to say aggressive, but like quite primal. And she left some scratches on my back. I didn't think they were like, I was like, yeah, put digging nails in, but I didn't think it was leaving a mark. It did. And that was like a big, that was like the first kind of like, whoa. I didn't think that I'd have a problem with this. I didn't think that's what is of just figuring stuff out that we, it was not a conversation that we had before because it wasn't something that we'd thought through. Like I say, it was still quite new to us. And though we had discussed some boundaries, there are some things that don't come up until they come up. So that was kind of hard for a while, just figuring out, okay, what kind of play will I allow myself to get into? Like, will I like mentally be like, okay, we can do X, Y, Z, but make sure you don't do ABC. We don't know what I'm seeing. So yeah, definitely a learning curve and it's kind of being aware of kind of what might be triggering for my partner and her, vice versa for me as well. Yeah, I think that's that's very common with a lot of non-monogamous relationships mm-hmm. that you don't realise things are going to be a problem unless they, until they come up because you can't think of every eventuality. Yeah. But like you said, it's the communication. That's what makes it work. And that's what mm-hmm. helps with navigating those issues and those hard boundaries. And then so you started opening up your relationship, mm-hmm. started dating. And then what happened next? Initially, I think this was, again, before going to play parties. So it was still very much one-on-one dating. The person I met first, I think we saw each other about a year maybe a little longer um we're still in touch as friends now but don't play together and around that time i eventually did meet more people through apps and had more dates that were a bit more long term so i wasn't dating all the time i'd kind of be seeing a few people semi-regularly like around my around my partner that was quite nice to start with in the sense of not feeling overstretched in a way I kind of got to know them. They knew me, like, just in terms of conversation, friendship, and sexually as well. So that was a big help to start with. I think the more then I started dating from there, I felt myself being a bit stretched mentally. I was seeing maybe, as well as my partner, three people, and then the occasional date from there. And it started to be just a lot logistically, mentally, Having those connections and trying to keep them like honest and communicative, I think I was finding difficult. But um, things changed and eventually I wasn't seeing anyone on that kind of basis, which I kind I think I found hard at first just because 
they they felt a little bit like breakups would in the sense that I see someone all the time, I get to know you, and not all of them ended like in an abrupt or kind of final way. One did, just in the sense that they weren't sure they wanted an open relationship, a non-monogamous relationship, or just non-monogamy in general. It was a balancing act for a period of time, and I think that eventually led me towards finding play parties. It was something that my partner and I talked about for a long time, but we had no clue about how, where, the logistics of, like, how do you get to them? Is this in someone's shady house in Kent? Is it going to be a case of being othered because I'm the only person of colour there? Like, it's just those kind of questions when it's completely unknown. And my introduction to Crossbreed was through someone I met on OkCupid. And we, we talked about it a bit, and they told me what the setup was like, the kind of attire, the kind of ethos around these kind of parties. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting, this is cool. I don't know if you remember this, there was a crossbreed party online. I think this was at 2020. Yeah, I wasn't around for that, but I, I, I know there were some virtual parties, yeah. Yeah, so they did a New Year's Eve party and... It really sucked. Yeah. <laughs> For me anyway. <laughs> Let's skip over that then. Yeah. What was your first in real life kink party like? <laughs> Let's go to the good stuff. <laughs> okay. So after that, I was like, uh, I kind of want to try this in person. And eventually they announced that they were doing something in autumn. They'd collaborated with a group called Fawn, who were a who are a collective, people of colour, prioritizing them in the kink scene. And I thought, okay, this is this really cool thing you told me about. And again, I didn't have any preconceptions of going into it as feeling othered. But if it's going to be like a positive thing for people of colour, like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to go to that one. I had this like big idea in my head of like, yeah, I'm going to do this, it's going to be amazing. And <laughs> it was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. Why? So the venue was quite small. I think the venue was a big part of it. The venue was quite small. Whether bets were hedged about how many people would be going... I think the idea behind it was you could buy a ticket if you were a person of colour or an ally. Or if someone was an ally, you could buy a ticket for them as a person of colour. I guess they thought let's keep it's gonna end up on the smaller side. So I think three hundred tickets were sold. The venue was awful. I, I think I just built something up in my head in terms of like what it would look like, what it would mm. sound like. So the fantasy of it was way better than the reality. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely a big part of it. But we also I think we had five tickets, but it ended up just being two of us, me and my friend. We had like some dropouts. So I was like, well, I'm going to try this again because it, it, I can't keep having these terrible experiences. It's clearly not the thing that everyone's talking about. So mm. I'm glad you didn't let that first experience deter you from going to future ones. Because unfortunately, they, they won't all be that great. They won't all be that <laughs> great. And you have to kind of power through to find the one for you. I think it's kind of like my ethos around play is like, I will try most things twice. Mm. So, Me too. So. The second time is to definitely make sure that you like yeah. it. Yeah. Like Good on you. Technically, though, that was your second time trying it. I mean, I don't think <laughs> online counted. Okay, okay. So, first time online, not great. Second mm. time in person, Again, also, that, yeah. not great. <laughs> Third time's a charm. What yes. was that like? What were you wearing? How did you find it? How are you so feeling? that was at Fabric. That was, I think, November 21. That's actually my first time getting to Fabric, like, in any capacity. Because I'd heard about this club for years and years and years, but it wasn't kind of my kind of music, so... It was massive. It was 
so wild. It was around the time that I'd kind of made an online account just to kind of separate my vanilla account from like this account of people I was meeting in the scene and kind of you know, I've been on dates with just a way of connecting with people. Within five minutes of being inside the venue, half the people I'd met online, I just saw. Yeah, it was amazing. Like everyone was dressed up. Everyone looked fantastic. How were you able to make that community before you'd gone to the event? Where did you find all these people? Um, It was mainly on Instagram. So I started following a few accounts. I'm not even sure how that, how that started. I think friends I'd met in person who were in the scene and then following people that they followed and then kind of spiralling from there, just kind of like accounts that mm-hmm. I admired just friends that I met along the way or people that I dated as well who were like yeah I've got an account as well so it kind of grew from there making that account was a good way to connect with people in a virtual way a bit of chat kind of figuring out what they were into like just getting information and gathering that information of like where were good places to go what kind of events be a bit flirty as well and yeah just being in that space if everyone's having a really good time I really enjoyed the fact it was people were able to it was was kind of like about the dancing and about the music because it was just such a good vibe I was just enjoying being there overall so it just felt like one of those places where once you're in it it kind of carried me along and then obviously there's a playroom which was great did you play that first night I think I did I'm not sure. <laughs> well, that's okay. That, that's, really <laughs> that's okay. I mean, some people go to these play parties and they don't play all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's and true. it's your first time as well. There's no pressure I to think, play. Either. I think that's a big thing I learned. So going to more parties kind of with not having the expectation of playing because I think that can be a big build up in, your, in my mind, particularly just being like, am I going to have a good time? I, like often I'd kind of be going there with someone or with the intention of meeting up with someone there that I'd spoken to before and be like, hey, you come into this thing? Da, da, da. Okay, I'll see you there, maybe. By the time Crosby got to Colour Factory, I think I was just going there and just enjoying the experience of people that I'd kind of just met as people, people that I'd like consider friends. So it wasn't it wasn't about, oh yeah, we can go to the playroom. Just like, hey, I get a chance to see you again and we will look amazing and if that happens, that happens. It's cool with all the equipment and all the stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like It just felt more of a space that it was just catching up with people. I think that's the best way to look at these parties. I think if you're going with expectations of, yeah, I'm going to fuck tonight, mm-hmm. probably not going to fuck. You're probably not going to have a good time either because you're just going to be worried about that all the time. Yeah. And if you just go to meet these great people, because there's like loads of great people in the community, mm-hmm. that's what makes the experience so much better dancing getting to know people chatting with people yeah so third time was lucky then third time was a great time it was um so i went with friends and it was just really uh, just one of those nights that you just think it's just gonna keep going keep going keep going it's just it was what i thought it would be like i think what the overall idea was when i started going to them was kind of comparing different ones and like letting my partner know about them because she was kind of less sure about going to the big ones and kind of wanting something a bit more small to start with so it was kind of like scouting (laughs) being like yeah this is these are the pros these are the cons this is (laughs) 
it's really fucking loud you're not gonna like it or this one is quite small and it's like a decent crowd it's quite intimate this might be more for you so as well as crossbreed i went to quite a few different like events just kind of seeing what was out there seeing how they varied and how i fit into that space yeah because once you once you found one it's very easy to find the rest isn't it yeah the friends i made there i'd be asking oh what are you going to next and i don't be telling me oh i'm gonna go to xyz and I'm like oh I, I don't know about this i've never heard about it google 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh so i went to i think fraun had a party not long after that fabric one i've been to kv I've been to some like private parties that friends I met through field and through parties had organized. So again, that's a, a completely different experience as well. So I think just having as many experiences as I could to compare and contrast what was a fit for me was really great. So yeah, definitely found where I felt I fit in more. Did going to these parties help you discover some new kinks that you didn't know you had? To some degree, yes. Go on, tell us what they are. <laughs> I think the equipment side of things, just having access to all of that stuff is pretty cool. If you're into restraint play, BDSM play, I think there's a lot there that you can get into and just try out. So I think that side of it, just having access was pretty cool. I don't think that they they align with my main kinks though. What are mm. your main kinks? I don't know if these count as kinks or just like, things that i enjoy okay so, what are the things you enjoy i enjoy central play i enjoy restraints i enjoy power switch dynamics nipple play is one as well i think i enjoy things that are quite tactile generally just quite a tactile person outside of that my main kink is around pleasure not much of a masochist receiving pain is pretty much yeah i'll try it I'm yet to find what find a receiving pain that I enjoy so much. Can you explain what being a switch means for you? Because some people might not know what that term means. I think for me, how I've understood it is around dynamics of domination and submission. Some people will want to naturally be more dominant. Some people want to be more submissive. And from what I've understood, a switch is someone who enjoys both. Another term I've heard is verse. So rather than being a switch between domination and submission, there is topping and bottoming and verses standing for versatile. So I guess it's the equivalent of like being able to want both things. So So that's what it means for you. How do you express your versatility or your switchiness? I think it's on a case by case basis. If you're someone who is naturally more submissive, then I'm happy to be the more dominant and vice versa. But if it's kind of open-ended and someone... What I like is when someone is genuinely wanting to switch as well. It's it's like, I I wouldn't want to just be like, okay, I want to try this now and you give it your best shot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd have your heart fully in it or you'd feel kind of anxious about doing something you're not comfortable with. So I kind of lean into what the person I'm with, what their dynamic is and kind of fitting around that and if there is no defined dynamic per se then it's all on the table basically have you had more dominant experience over submissive experiences yeah definitely why do you think that is i think most of the time when i'm looking on apps or just wherever 
there's kind of an expectation of dominance for men in terms of play whether that's kind of vanilla or if it is rougher that's a quite a common dynamic it's kind of a thing that society has bred into people like men are this way da, 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 da. i think another layer of that is being a person of color being a black man how that is depicted internally within the culture i'm part of afro-caribbean culture and how we're viewed outside so beyond that you have the masculinity men are meant to be upholding these virtues so you have the kind of i can't be broken that you already have from being a black person and then you have to uphold the masculinity so you can't show any sort of vulnerability you can't show any sort of weakness and i think that's culturally is there i think that's undeniable it's not always overt but there are just certain kind of truisms that you grow up with in that sense and you takes a while to question whether that's in a group setting or just on your own and then outside of that culture you had the perception on the outside how blackness is perceived by non-black people you have mainstream media obviously you've got pornography as well the things that they perpetuate are around hypermasculinity. You could search on one of these sites for anything to do with black men and there are certain terms that come up all the time. Mm, they're usually like the cuck, aren't they? Yeah. The bull, sorry, they're the bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll see like a, so, a white couple and the white guy yeah. wants a, a bull and they usually go for so, the big black guy. Yeah, so the, the black man is he... <laughs> I remember that's one example I think I heard on another podcast of like someone talking about this, this very thing and it's about this... If black guys escape from prison and the first thing he does is break into a white woman's house in America. <laughs> so yeah, that, 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 that's the real setup. And it's, it's, it's just basically a back to the dominant hyper-masculine kind of trope. And beyond porn, the othering of black people to be angry or violent or the microaggressions that are labelled toward black people they are there like we all know what they are as black people so it's possibly naive to think that that's not there on a subconscious level when you're thinking about how people react to you in a play setting and it's shit to kind of have that at the back of your mind but it's not a constant but it's always something that could come up if you for me anyway if i feel unsafe for some reason the idea that I'd want to be or do something other than this person all the time. If that is odd to you, then I think that's quite sad. Mm. <laughs> Just not really accepting that someone is a full person. You heard it here, guys. Don wants more stubby experiences. <laughs> Stop making him be a dom. He doesn't want to do it all the time, okay? <laughs> Allow like him to be soft to and vulnerable. <laughs> always a choice exactly and i think it's it it happens so often that black men can be pigeonholed into being one version and mm. seen as a monolith and you know black people aren't a monolith you know we like different things you want to be not? different things you exactly oh god <laughs> <laughs> the way you had me tripping for a minute i was like what <laughs> but yeah do you, do you think it's it's quite hard to be a submissive black man I think on some levels, yeah. Again, I'm not... Is that something you find personally, though? Yes and no. I think that, for the most part, the partners that I've played with, I've chosen quite carefully. I feel like I have a good sense of 
who most people are, what they're about. So I don't think if I'm in a situation where if I've met someone and I've said that I would be interested in something that is a more submissive role, I think it's something that we could have a conversation about. I think it's just harder based on just my experience, just in terms of numbers. Most people that I meet would prefer someone who is dominant and they want to be the submissive. That's fine. Happy doing that. The second thing is kind of come back to the way that I meet people. Field, then if you know that the app has a few kind of filters you can use. One of them is dominant, one of them is submissive. But it doesn't tell you which side of the fence you're on when you click that box. <laughs> so you know, I think you should you should put it in your bio because ever since I put in my bio that I'm I want to explore my dominant side a bit more. I'm looking for subs who want to serve. The amount of people I've been getting swiping me, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Put it in your bio. Make it explicitly clear that you want more sub experiences. And there are people out there who are dom and they want more sub experiences. Interesting. Okay. You have to be explicit with these sort of things. If you don't ask, you don't get. That is very true. I think, again, because what I want from a submissive sense isn't the masochistic side, it isn't necessarily humiliation and degradation side. I think it's just I've filtered what I think I want and distilled that into a narrower sphere. So I'm, I've made it harder for myself. I think if I just open myself up to a whole world of sub-experiences, then I think that could kind of be played out and I could figure out whether oh this thing that I didn't think I was going to be into I've enjoyed it I think I'm more wary of that from a submissive standpoint I guess there is the vulnerability aspect of it of giving over completely to someone when it's not something that I actually enjoy in terms of like masochism for example but yeah I think I've not necessarily wanted to close myself off to meeting people as a whole so I don't think I've chosen specifically but maybe i'll give it a go <laughs> yeah there's there's different types of doms like yeah, i realized that i'm more of, i'm more of a mommy dom mm-hmm. so i don't like the degradation or the masochism or the sadism yeah and there are subs who don't like that either so i think it's just yeah keep an open mind and mm-hmm. just making explicitly clear what type of experience you want yeah and you'll find your person or persons i think so i mean i remember going to a munch that would describe the femme dom munch. And I think it's I think it's interesting when it's not in terms of submission that I'm looking for. I think certain things are not as explicitly said. So like you said with mummy dom or sensual dom kind of stuff, I don't know how much that's out there in the main. It feels still even in the world of King, it feels like off the main path. It's like it's like behind the curtain kind of thing. And I don't know if you've seen the recent Four Chambers films. They talk about this a lot in the films that they just did called Mamor. It's a two-parter. And they kind of talk about the idea of the mother figure and why that's kind of not sacred, but so left alone in the sense of we always talk about about daddy in kind of King Queen kind of play to the extent where it's just... It's just a normalized play word, but mummy is kind of like whoa. It's it's <laughs> a very di- it's a yeah it's a very different kind of. Call <laughs> <laughs> <Tell> me mummy. <laughs> it's a bit with, a, with an English accent. It sounds even yeah. worse. Mummy, <laughs> 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 I got it. 
Må med. Nej. Jeg kan jo But they they talk about how like the mother is kind of like this this holy kind of figure, like this virginal figure. It makes no sense. Their mother, they've literally given birth. So yeah, they kind of talk about the paradox around it, and they do their best to unpack it visually. But they've also got the they've got the audio concurrently. So you've got one channel with the audio of the action, and the other channel with the audio of the director and what she's kind of wanting to explore with the project. So I would strongly recommend that if that's your thing. Good to know. Thank you. We're going to leave it on that wonderfully delicious note on all things mummy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Don, so much for joining me, joining us, me. sharing your story and allowing us to be a part of it. And thank you, lovely listeners, for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts and carry on the conversation with the hashtag SkinOutPod. Do all the things you usually do with podcasts. Give us a good rating, subscribe and share with your friends. And I'll see you next week.